potential. And we have, as leaders of the church, big plans and dreams for this year. And uh, we are charting a course into some unfamiliar waters toward the destiny that God has given to us of greater influence and greater godliness and spirituality. Many of you understand and know that uh, we are in the year of 2008 putting our attention on building and uh, uh, relocating the congregation into a larger facility. And also our second area of focus in the new year is creating small groups network, which is uh, what I believe with all my heart is a greater setting or a greater environment a greater tool for spiritual growth in a person's life. Because here's what happens. Some people put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they don't know how to grow spiritually, and they stagnate. There are others who put their faith in Jesus Christ and grow for a while, and then they stagnate. But in the year of 2008, we're going to implement a ministry and a tool whereby I believe people will be able to continue in their process of spiritual growth. Does anybody believe that that's important? Amen. And uh, it's been thought in the past that you grow spiritually just by coming to church and occupying a seat. But in reality, you grow when you learn to help other people grow spiritually and when you're held accountable for your own spiritual growth. Small groups ministry is the way in 2008 that we are going to endeavor to create an opportunity. Now, it's not an automatic thing. It's not like, okay, I get in a small group, I'm automatically growing spiritually. You've got to come in with the right attitude, and you've got to put something into it, but you will grow spiritually in our small groups ministry. Another thing about uh, Life Church, some of you know, most of you know, some do not know, is that we are a part of a global body of apostolic believers. Literally thousands of churches and over a million believers in North America make up the United Pentecostal Church, or the UPC. And uh, the superintendent at this time of the United Pentecostal Church is Brother Kenneth Aney. And he has inspired the pastors and the leaders of the United Pentecostal Church to be motivated to multiply the influence and the impact of our church upon the world. And the goal is that we would double in a decade. How many believe that our church can double in a decade? Amen? I believe that. Praise the Lord. Our uh, number of uh, members and attenders of our church doubled in the last two years. So I believe we can easily double in a decade and even quicker than that, I believe. Also, beyond doubling the number in our auditorium, I believe that we can see God double our church by us having another church within the next 10 years that comes out of life church how many believe that that can happen that's the will of the lord but this theme that the united pentecostal church is emphasizing is called global impact global impact and as i said the goal is to double in a decade and on this very day july 6th throughout america and throughout the whole world there are thousands of congregations in the united pentecostal church that are beginning this endeavor of global impact with 30 days of fasting and prayer. So we are going to join with other churches and other groups of believers throughout America and the world for a time of prayer and fasting for 30 days. Now, before you get nervous, I'm not asking you to fast 30 straight days. And uh, I think I'd have most people check out on that one. But uh, during the next 30 days, we're going to be taking special times, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to implore you as your pastor to take special times and commit those times to prayer and fasting for global impact. We want the message of the gospel to make a global impact upon the world. 
And uh, we are going to be involved with this effort at Life Church. And a little bit later, I will share with you how you can get involved in global impact. Now, so far, my comments and my statements have been focused upon the greater organization of the church, whether it's the local body or the universal uh, uh, organization called the United Pentecostal Church, or even beyond that, the greater organization of the body of Christ. But for the rest of the day, rather than focus on the organism called the church, I want to narrow the focus a little bit and talk to you about an organism called you and me, you and me. Now, it's fun talking about conglomerates or groups, but it gets a little bit uncomfortable and we get a little bit squirmy when the focus gets on us. Very few people like to be in the spot. Everybody's looking at me. It's easier to deal with things in a corporate sense, but I'm asking you today to stop thinking about the needs of your brother or your sister. And I'm asking you for a few moments to think about me. Not think about me, but think about yourself. And uh, while we know that the church is charting a course, and in this new year we want to be successful as a body of believers with leaders in the church, charting a direction. We have a committee in the church uh, that I've asked to serve on a building committee. And the year 2008 is going to be a time to build. And uh, we have a building committee that's going to be helping us making decisions about the project of building. I'd like for those men, the gentlemen that I've asked to be on that building committee, if you could stand right now, uh, the men on the building committee that I've asked to serve in this capacity. Uh, Some of them are in the back and some are around here. I want you to pray for these men as you pray for me as well because we need God's direction. We need God's anointing and we need to make decisions that God is in the midst of. Amen? God bless you and you may be seated because uh, I've known before of uh, uh, decisions that were made that seemed like the best decision, but they weren't necessarily the best decision. While the church is charting a course for this year, so also should every individual believer be concerned and aware of the way that they are taking the direction of your life. Which way are you going? Are you familiar with where you are spiritually? Or have you kind of forgotten about that for a while? As we talk about charting this course for our own personal life, I want to tell you that I have seen some interesting documentaries in my past, and uh, uh, very informational and uh, uh, very entertaining. One that was very interesting to me that I saw one time was about a scuba diving expedition that was both using scuba gear and small submarines to dive into the depths of the ocean and explore the remains of sunken ships. Ships that somehow were wrecked, whether in battle or in storms or because of inappropriate charting methods. Ships that once were on the top of the sea, but now they are in the bottom of the sea. And as you look at these documentaries, some of you may have seen, whether it's the Mary Rose that sank in 1545, it sunk as Henry VIII watched in pride, but then it flipped over and sank capsized because it was overloaded and took on water in the South Sea, or whether it's the story of the Titanic that uh, sunk in April of 1912. Many of you know about this, one of the most well-known shipwrecks of all time, or whether it's the 
Lusitania or the Bismarck or any other of the thousands of ships that lay in ruins in an underwater graveyard, it's very interesting to explore the remains of what was and what could have been. And as these divers swim in this domain that used to be a ship, and they search for treasures, and they come across personal effects, and uh, they're swimming through this underwater aquatic land. Once in this decks that they swim by, the sites of revel, partying, or the sites of warfare and soldiers, now are the habitation of fish and other aquatic animals. But as you're watching with interest and intrigue, behind all of this feeling of curiosity about the exploration of the remains of the shipwreck is the kind of sickening, nauseating sense and awareness that this graveyard of a ship represents the loss of life and a tragedy that happened perhaps many, many years ago and the stories that accompany it. Now, you may think as I make reference to shipwrecks and uh, exploring these, what does this have to do with me in 2008? This is an important service, Pastor Brown, for service in the new year. The reason that I talk to you about shipwrecks today is I want to share this message with you as a cautionary tale to remind you of the importance of knowing where you are and charting your course spiritually. I want this to be an ounce of prevention that's worth a pound of cure. Because as a pastor's son growing up in the home of a pastor, I've seen many tragedies in many lives of people who once had things together. I've seen people walk away from their families and their children. I've seen people go back to a life of sin. And these tragic events, these tragic tales that happen in people's lives cause me to, as pastor, implore you to get things on, on chart, to, to get back on the right pathway, to get your spiritual life shored up, and to make sure that you don't become a cautionary tale for another generation. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse 18, writes a warning about personal shipwreck. He says, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Timothy, you're in a fight. Remember and be successful in your warfare. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Everyone say shipwreck. The Apostle Paul is warning Timothy, saying, fight a good fight, hold on to your faith, and hold on to a good conscience, because those that have pushed away their good conscience have made their faith a shipwreck. The Apostle Paul, first of all, is reminding Timothy and us as well that we are engaged in warfare. Don't forget that we are in spiritual battle. See, you don't hear this very much in the shallow churches that are community-minded fellowship churches throughout the world that uh, promote kind of an easy pathway to Christianity. But the reality is we need to understand that we are engaged in spiritual warfare and that the devil would love nothing more than to take out a believer in the truth of Jesus Christ's message. And, that, and Paul further compares our 
faith, our faith in God, what it is that caused us to be here today. Why would you come to church today? Because my mom made me. Well, if you're an adult, why would you come to church? Because I believe in God, and I believe it's important to serve God. I believe it's important to be in the house of the Lord. You know what it is that brought you to church? It's your faith. And why do people quit coming to church? Because their faith, something happens to their faith. They may blame it on this or that or another, but in reality, somewhere along the way, their faith has suffered. And Paul compares our faith to a ship or a vessel, an ocean-going vessel. And this is an excellent analogy that the apostle uses here. Because our faith, like a vessel, has a starting point, but it's moving toward an ultimate destination. Amen. How many are glad that the Lord saved you? Hallelujah. But how many also realize that you're not completely saved yet? I was saved when I was 10 years of age, and I let Jesus come into my heart. But one day... I'm going to walk through a gate that's made out of pearl. I'm going to step on streets that are made out of pure gold. And when I step in and I hear Jesus Christ's voice say to me, Well done. You did a good job, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then I will have been saved eternally. But from the point of my initial salvation experience until I get to heaven, I'm on a journey from point A to point B. And what is taking me on this journey is my faith in Jesus Christ. You are on a journey. Our faith, Paul compares to a ship traveling to a destination. And we can only stay afloat by keeping out the very thing that we are maneuvering over. Every ship that sinks, sinks for the same reason. Anybody want to know what the reason is? Whether it's hit with a bullet, torpedo, whether it hits a rock, whether it hits an iceberg, whatever it is that causes the breach in the hull of the vessel, what ultimately brings down the ship is the water that they're maneuvering over comes into the ship. And when the ship is filled with water, every single shipwreck there's ever been has been because... Somewhere along the way, there's been a breach in the hull. And that which they were maneuvering over fills the ship. And the ship being filled with water can no longer float. So it is with our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ helps us maneuver through a world that's very evil. A world that tends toward fleshly things and carnal things. And a world that does not exalt and worship and give glory to God. But a world that is focused on pleasure and excitement and uh, uh, fulfillment of the desires of your flesh. But you can maneuver through this world without taking this world on you if you keep your ship of faith afloat. Amen. John chapter 15 verse 19. It says, if you were of the world... The world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. This ship of faith that I am in, that's taking me to heaven, will only stay afloat if I keep the world out of it. But if I let the world fill up my boat, my ship of faith will not stay afloat. I cannot continue upon my charted destiny if I let that which I am seeking to leave behind. Fill my vessel 
And many people who are shipwrecked spiritually, it happens because they let the things of the world seep back into their life that once was free from the world. Into a life that once was characterized by a passion for the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2 and 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. I'm hoping you'll get a mental picture here. The water is the world. The water is the world. The world that will take your faith down and destroy you and snuff the life out of your spiritual purpose and experience. But our faith in Jesus Christ, our faith that we must protect, our faith that we have to be careful about as we maneuver in this world, above all things, protect your faith in God. It doesn't matter how much money that I make. It doesn't matter how big of a house that I live in or how many cars that I have or how many children that I bring into the world. What matters is, is my boat still on the journey? Am I still heading to my destination? Have I kept the world out of my life? Am I still seeking to please God? Am I still filled with the desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ? Do I still love Him more than anything? Galatians 1, 3, 4, he died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. Just as God planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, he brought us out of the world. And now our faith is as a ship maneuvering to our ultimate destination. And unfortunately, all of us have seen and heard the results of very public shipwrecks of faith. I was a teenager in the 1980s when there were a number of well-known televangelists, television evangelists. And uh, these were men who had a lot of influence. A lot of people looked up to them. They were well-known because of their spiritual anecdotes and words from the Word of God. But their fall was so public, their Moral failure became plastered on the newspaper and on the television screens as these very public shipwrecks of faith happen. And even in this last year, we've heard stories of pastors, well-known, renowned, and evangelists who have fallen prey to sin, immorality, and greed for finance and money. But unfortunately, for every public shipwreck of a leader, the shipwreck getting publicity and media attention. Unfortunately, for every one of those, there are literally thousands of less publicized tragedies of faith. People who never stood behind the pulpit of a mega church, person who never necessarily stood in a ministry position. But tragic nonetheless, because even though it was not publicized, these believers were people who had faith in God who had a testimony of God's greatness and deliverance and had a destiny of where God was planning to take them. But even with this faith and this testimony and this destiny, they drifted off course. Perhaps offense came into their life because of what someone did or said. And through this offense, like a sense of battle, or this drifting off of course because of a lack of focus, There was a breach torn into the hole of their ship called their faith. And they became shipwrecked. And the sad stories are told. And we can go down and explore the remains of what could have been. Of these 
wonderful people who never reached their destiny because their faith became shipwrecked. See, I preached to you a cautionary tale at the beginning of 2008 because I want to put pressure on you, godly pressure. I want to provoke you to good works because it's time for some of us to get back on our knees and pray. It's time for some of us to put the discipline of fasting back into our spiritual life. It's time for some of us to get off the scary train of, of, of just going to church out of routine and get back, amen, where God wants us to be. And that is serving God out of the desire of our heart and the love for God and putting Him back in the center of everything that we do and being Jesus Christ-centered and everything that we do and everything that we say. And our life becomes a life that pleases Him. How does spiritual shipwreck happen? Now, one thing that the Bible says in our text, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 18, says, holding your faith and a good conscience, because those that have put that away have made their faith a shipwreck. Our text says that when people put away their good conscience, it leads to spiritual shipwreck or personal shipwreck of their faith. And the term here, having put away, actually means pushing it off or rejecting. Rejecting your conscience, your good conscience, or pushing off your good conscience brings you to a position of personal shipwreck. Now, when the Bible talks about conscience in the Word of God, there are many adjectives used to describe a person's conscience. First of all, a good conscience. We just read that. Another place the Bible refers to an evil conscience. Another place the Bible talks about a pure conscience. Another place it talks about a defiled conscience. Another place it talks about a clear conscience. Another place it talks about a weak conscience. The Bible tells us that your conscience is something that can be seared or deadened. also says that your conscience can be purified, thank the Lord. But what is conscience? Conscience is your awareness of your condition. Your awareness of your rightness or wrongness, a moral compass that lets you know where you are spiritually. Somebody explained it this way. It's that little preacher inside your head that's there when Pastor Brown's not there. That's there when your Sunday school teacher is not there. That is there when the youth pastor is not there with you. It's still there with you. It's a part of you, and it's your conscience. It's that moral voice inside of you. And when you were a child, many of you had a very clear conscience, a very pure conscience. I can remember as a little child, um, I uh, got caught in a situation. I don't know, I was probably about seven or eight or nine. And there was an older lady in the church. It was kind of a mean old lady. And uh, she was at our church, maybe not in the church. But uh, my brothers and I were playing in the downstairs of the church, as preacher's kids often do. And I heard her came down, come down, and she said something to my little brother. And I thought I heard her call him a bad name. And so I went home to the babysitter that was watching us that night, and I said, Do you know what Sister So-and-so called Nathan? She called him up. And then it was over with. But the next day on Sunday, on Sunday, uh, my mom came up to me with Sister So-and-so. And said, uh, Rich, Sister So-and-so says that you told Sister Vicky that 
she called Nathan a mm. And I said, I didn't say that. I turned around and walked away. But you know what? I walked into, I remember, I can remember as vividly as it was happening yesterday to this day, walking into the junior classroom, opening the door, and going into the junior classroom and just staring at the wall. And I was overwhelmed with guilt for telling my mother a lie. And so I, I could not even wait another minute. And I ran out, ran down the hall and grabbed my mom and said, Mom, she did say it. She said it. I heard her say it. And the point that I'm trying to make is, is that my conscience was so clear that I could not do anything to violate my conscience or defile my conscience. The Bible says here that what keeps your ship of faith afloat is to keep hold of a good conscience. Don't defile or sear or deaden your conscience by allowing things in your life and by doing things that are unacceptable and by silencing the voice of your conscience. Titus 1.15 says, Under the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. In other words, it's not even wrong to them anymore. It doesn't even feel wrong anymore because their conscience is defiled. This is how you get off, off course. This is how you get off chart uh, because God will speak to those that are honest. Uh, God will speak to those who have an open heart, but those who try to justify their actions, God cannot speak to them. What the Bible is saying here, those who have pushed off or cast off their good conscience uh, so that they could do what is convenient to them and do what they want to do, they dull their conscience until they can no longer be honest with God and they set themselves up for a shipwreck. Don't think that these televangelists and famous uh, pastoral personalities ever plan to destroy their ministry and crush all the things that people have put their hope into and destroy the confidence of their children and their family members. But what happened is, is they violated their conscience. They violated their conscience until no longer was this voice inside of them that was giving them an internal navigation against the scary parts uh, that could destroy them and bring them down into the waters uh, of iniquity and sin. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 51 and 6, I love what the Word of God says. It says, Behold, thou, God, desirest truth in the inward parts. You desire honesty in my heart. That's what God wants more than anything. More than my sacrifice and my commitment and my time and energy expended. More than my skills and my talent and my ability. More than whether or not I can stand before you and preach and move you. God wants me to be truthful in my heart. God wants honesty in my spirit. Uh, the same is true of you. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, uh, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Verse 16 of Psalm 51 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, uh, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. And the one thing that I've got to keep, uh, if I ever want to get to the destination, 
destination that God has for me, which is the shores of glory. And in the meantime, he has some destinations along the way, a greater influence, greater power with God, closeness and intimacy with God. Hallelujah. And many lives that are going to be impacted and changed because of the ministry God has given to me and to you as well. The one thing that I've got to protect and keep a hold of and take care of is my good conscience. Because if I push it off, if I reject it so that I can do what I want to do that nobody knows about, then somewhere along the way I'm going to make my life a shipwreck. It's going to be a sad cautionary tale. The move from faith to being a sunken ship does not happen instantly. No one wakes up one morning and says, I think I'm going to throw away my testimony today. I think I'm going to throw away my influence today. I think I'm going to throw away my family and the respect of my kids today. I think I'll just get out of the will of God today and do my own thing. Nobody ever does that. No, it's far more subtle than that. What happens is we fall away when we allow sin to go unchallenged in our lives. We fall away when we seek to rationalize our sinfulness in backslidden condition and prayerlessness. We will begin to allow ourselves a loophole here and there. And before you know it, we are totally gone. Cautionary tale. Don't get stressed out. I'm just sharing this with you because an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. 30 minutes of discomfort as God works and needles away on you while the preacher's preaching is a lot better than three years of despair because your wife will have nothing to do with you any longer. Let me tell you. Come on, somebody. God wants to speak to you today because God has called me today to provoke you to good work. God has called me. He wants you to go to the prayer room voluntarily instead of him having to build you one. You know what? God can build a prayer room if he needs to. Just ask Jonah who got on his knees in the belly of a whale and said, Okay, God, I'll get things right with you now. I want to get things right with God on my own terms. Amen? And that's what the Word of God is designed for, to keep you awake, to keep you morally straight, to keep you on the straight and narrow. Men, respect your wives. Women, respect your husbands. Love one another. Keep your marriage strong. Keep your eyes and your mind pure because the devil would like nothing more than to come into life church and tear families apart and tear marriages apart and tear people's ministry apart. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I cry against it and I shout against it. But I can cry and shout all I want. But somewhere along the way, you've got to say, God, I'm going to get back on my knees. I'm going to get my life in tune with your word. I'm going to get right with you, Jesus, because I want these feet to walk on gold someday. Because above all else, I must be saved. And when I get to heaven, I want my family there with me. I want my children there with me. Hallelujah. God, Whatever it takes, let me keep my conscience pure, truthful, and honest. Honest before you. Backsliding is very subtle. The movement away from God is almost imperceptible, but before long the backslider is miles away from the one who redeemed their soul. You've heard before the frog in the kettle. Throw a frog in a... uh, Uh, a pan of boiling water, and he will immediately jump out if it's possible. Put a frog in a warm pan of water, adjust the temperature incrementally, 
And the frog will sit in there and enjoy the warm water until he literally boils to death. The same is true in the incremental nature of falling away from God. That's why I'm saying, wake up! It's not enough to come get your groove on on Sunday. Somewhere along the way, you've got to get a relationship with Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the way, you've got to fall in love with your maker, your creator, and your savior. Somewhere along the way, you've got to deny yourself. Because those challenges from your flesh are going to come, and you've got to say, no, sir, no, ma'am. This young man's going to live for God. This young man's going to be a child of God. God's going to use me. God's got a purpose for me. Most of all, he's going to take me to heaven one day with my family intact. Avoiding shipwreck is important. I'm challenging you today as Christians, as believers. Just because God saved you does not mean that the job is finished. We are laborers together with Him. Jesus saved us by His blood. We didn't have to work then. But in order to be sanctified and prepared for God's purpose, it's a process that we work together with God. I looked online about avoiding shipwreck. I found something very interesting written by Captain Finn Anderson, a professional mariner since 1965. He holds a master's certificate for coastal voyages, specialized in firefighting, life-saving navigation. He gives advice, and he has a few points. Here's how to avoid shipwreck on the high seas. Number one, maintain constant vigilance. I'm not making this up. This is how to avoid shipwreck from the Internet. Maintain constant vigilance. Always be aware. If you want to avoid shipwreck, you can't go, go to sleep on the ship. You can't just say, it, it'll get where it's supposed to go. You've got to be vigilant and aware. Can I get an amen? Don't forget that you are in a fight. There is a tendency in human nature to become apathetic and spiritually lazy. Do you know, do you know that you'll become lazy? Let's just talk about the physical. How many got lazy over Christmas? Anybody do a lot of laying around? And The more lazy you get, the more lazy you want to be. Until finally you just feel so upset and sick at yourself that you say, I can't live like this anymore. You know what I'm talking about. Like people that retire and, and they just lay around. And then after two months they're like, this is misery. I'd rather die than live like this. And they go get a job or get a hobby or something. But human nature tends toward apathy and laziness. And the same is true spiritually. You begin to feel like, I don't need to pray. I'm still going to church. I don't need to fast. Uh, I still feel good and I feel the Holy Ghost and I can speak in other tongues. Uh, I don't need to do this. Don't forget you're in a fight. Uh, Be aware and maintain vigilance. Number two, he says, keep a proper lookout. Always keep a lookout for your surroundings and other vessels. That's why there is a need for accountability in your life. Someone that you can be honest with and somebody that you can say, I need you to pray with me about this. I need you to help me with this. Uh, I need to open up with you and share with you something that I'm struggling with. uh, Because if I don't have somebody on lookout, uh, then I can scar my vessel and end up a shipwreck. Number three, use charts and compass. Use tools for navigation. By understanding and using your navigational tools, you can travel with safety. How many are glad God gave you a conscience, which is your navigational tool that keeps your faith afloat? How many are glad that God gave you His Holy Word, the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the book that is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path? If you have a Bible, if you're personally familiar and associated, connected with the Word of God, it will guide your steps. It will be a lamp unto your feet. It will order your direction. These are tools that God gave you. Don't put them on the shelf and let dust collect. Use them. Keep your conscience pure through prayer. 
Stay connected to the Word of God. Number four, fix your vessel's position. Take regular bearings so that you're always aware of your location using GPS, horizontal sextant, and radar or sight readings that can help you do this. Fix your vessel's position. Know where you are. Take spiritual inventory. Don't just sit in church and say, I'm okay. And when the Word starts digging, say, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to quit listening. Let the Word of God do its work and take responsibility. The Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How many people have backslidden and, and blamed it on the pastor or blamed it on another person or their spouse? The reality is if you're going to make it to heaven, you're going to make it because you work out your salvation. You're going to make it because you take spiritual inventory. You're going to make it to heaven. Come on, brothers and sisters. You're going to make it to heaven because every once in a while you stop and say, where am I now? Am I closer to God than I was a year ago, or have I drifted a little bit? Uh, Are my spiritual disciplines in place, or have I let them kind of get all sloppy? You know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, you've got to get up on the scale and say, oh, my Lord, look where I am now. I've gained 18 pounds since last year. It's time for me to get back my disciplines uh, of maintaining my body. Amen? Some people like to just stay away from the scale and pretend like it's not there and pretend like they don't take up two seats on the airplane now and pretend like everything's cool. But the reality is everything's not cool. They're setting themselves up for bad health and early death. But spiritually, some people like to stay away from the scale and pretend like everything's okay and don't have a truth teller that will stand up and declare to them, you need to get back on your disciplined regimen of living for God and walking with God and being, let me just preach what I feel in my heart today. It's time for you to get up on the scale. Say, I gotta be honest with myself. I've been missing too much church. I've been missing too much prayer. I've been wrapped up in my life. I've been doing my thing. I've been watching too much TV. I've been wrapped up in the things of this world. And it's time for God to let me cleanse myself. Put your fix on a chart. Keep record of your position can help you to avoid surprises and unexpected land masses and currents. Finally, travel or proceed at a safe speed. This is how you avoid shipwrecks. Your vessel shouldn't travel at speeds that give you and other mariners time. should travel at speeds that give you time to change course. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get ahead of yourself spiritually. Take it one step at a time. Take it one step at a time. Let God develop you. Don't get frustrated. Because you're not over there and you're here instead. Just let God unfold it and let God do it. How many people want to preach behind a pulpit before they even learn how to pay their tithes? And how many people want to want to uh, uh, develop into this ministry or this area and say, God, why aren't you using me here? And God's saying, okay, come on back here where you're supposed to be and let's move along. Let's make progress. Don't get frustrated with where you are, but travel at the appropriate speed so that you don't hit unexpected land masses. The reality is don't get ahead of yourself. And the final word of caution that this uh, mariner gave is, remember, the sea has no mercy. The sea has no mercy. Sin has no mercy. The world has no... You don't play with it. You don't mess with it. Uh, you don't fool around with it because it will envelop you. It will destroy you. Don't mess with it. Don't play with it. Now, young people, I remember when I was a, a young person, there was a, uh, a, a, a lesson, I think it was called Man in Demand, 
and uh, it had a picture of a, a cat. And the cat's name had written on the side was fornication. Fornication. And uh, the young man was over there petting the cat. Isn't it sweet? Isn't it sweet? But that cat turned around, pounced, turned into a tiger and got a hold of him. The reality is you don't play with sin. Don't mess with it. Sin is unforgivable, and the sea has no mercy. They say, that's enough caution. What do I got to do now, Pastor? Here's the word for today. The word is it's time to purify. It's time to cleanse. It's time to empower your conscience to keep you on course. Uh, This is a call to repentance. Uh, This is a call to spiritual renewal. This is a call to consecration. This is a call to stop the drifting. This is a call to wake up. Uh, This is a call to get back on course. Uh, A call to get back on for your destination. Hallelujah. Amen. Because we're living in a world that's getting busier and my responsibilities are growing and your responsibilities are growing. And it is dangerous to have growing responsibilities and a shrinking passion for God. The more I have to do, the more I need God. The more responsibilities I have, the more I need God. That's why it's ridiculous when people get another job so and then they can't come to church because they heighten their responsibilities. How are you supposed to make it to heaven when your responsibilities get greater and your passion for God fades? Somewhere along the way, every time I take on a new responsibility, I've got to take on a new level of passion for God. Let there be something inside of me that's not just a show, but everybody does know that I have a passion for Jesus Christ. Man, I love people that have passion for Jesus. People that love Jesus can't stop talking about it. Amen. My wife and I were joking the other day, and, and Francisco came into our conversation. We were saying, uh, the other day we said, uh, anybody ever used these expressions before? Say, uh, do, you want a, uh, do you want a uh, Hershey's candy bar? And my wife says, does a bear have hair? You know what I'm saying? It's like so quintessential. Obviously, a bear has hair, so obviously I want a chocolate bar. So I was like, I'm tired of that one, honey. Let's think of some new one. Rather than does a bear have hair, does a chicken have lips, does a snake have hips, let's think of something else. And so we came up with several of them. Say, honey, you want a chocolate bar? She said, does Francisco love Jesus? Come on, my brother, give me five. Because there's got to be a passion in our heart and a love for Jesus Christ. God put it in me that I can't stop worshiping, that I can't stop praying, that I can't get close enough to Him. God, put that fire in my spirit. Put that in my bosom. Put it on the inside. Let it change everything about me. Lord, hallelujah. Call me to consecration. Call me to spirituality. Let me have a growing passion for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands to Him right now all across this place and cry out to the Lord. Tell Him that you love Him. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I need you. Hallelujah. Come on, cry out to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Reach your hand over and pray for that person next to you right now. Let's pray for one another for just a moment. We're going to go on in a little bit and a couple specifics, but right now let's pray for one another. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. As your pastor, 
as your pastor, I'm crying out for you. I don't want to have to counsel marriages that are about to break apart. I don't want to have to counsel with people whose lives are falling apart because they've fallen back into sin. I don't want to have to counsel young people that are trying to decide whether they have to get married or not. I don't want to do it, but I want to work with young people that are so on fire for God. and Moms and dads that are bringing their children up in the goodness and admonition of the Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I pray for this church. I pray for every man, every godly man. Anoint him to be a godly man. I pray for every lady in this church. Let her be a godly lady filled with your spirit. Spirit, a woman of prayer, Lord God. Let every man be the priest of his home. Let every marriage be strengthened, I pray. I rebuke the devourer, and I challenge every man to be pure. And I challenge every woman to love her husband and respect him in the name of Jesus Christ. I challenge us, Lord Jesus, to draw close to you. To eschew evil and sin and to love the lover of our soul. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Before we leave today, I want to share a few specifics. For you, I think you know what the Word of God, what God is speaking to us today. And I want to share with you what God wants us to do as a church. First, it's very easy. It's not that difficult. This takes discipline. Is renew a commitment to God's Word. Renew a commitment to God's Word. I'm excited for many of you that were reading the Bible through in 2007. Some of us got it finished. Some of us only got part way. But... Uh, this year, if you want to take that same Bible, I encourage you to get a version of the Bible that's easy to understand and read it through. Try to read it every day. If you miss a day, don't beat yourself up. Just get back on the next day. Get back on the wagon. I've got some Bibles coming in. I'm going to do a different version personally this year called the Daily Bible. I intended to have them here today. They didn't make it. I think the rain affected it. But they'll be here by Wednesday. I've got 20 that you can purchase or you can use one that you already have. Uh, the Bible that we're going to use this year that uh, I'm, I'm going to offer to you is a chron- chronological Bible that has explanations before each reading. But I challenge you to get into the Word of God. If you want to grow spiritually, if we want to have true, deep moves of God, I'm telling you right now, this church is not going to become a shallow church. This church is going to be an appealing church to outsiders, but it's going to have a deep core that's anchored to the Word of God. So I want you to renew a commitment to God's Word to reading the Bible through. This week we're going to be doing some fasting and prayer during your lunchtime. If you haven't started reading the Bible through for 08, it's a great time to start because you have your lunches. You can catch up. You're only six days behind. I'm four days behind, so I've got to catch up myself. But we're going to start. It doesn't matter if you fell off the wagon last year. If you only got a few weeks in, it's a great time to start right now. Renew with a commitment to God's Word. If you've got to wake up early in the morning, if you do better reading it before bed, get into the Word of God. And we'll be emphasizing that more on Wednesday night. Also, we're going to start this year with a time of prayer and fasting. 30 days of consecration this month from January the 6th to February the 3rd. And uh, Brother Donnie has something that he's going to hand around right now. And uh, here I want to explain what he's given to us. This is an opportunity 
this month we're going to keep the doors of the church open from 7 to 9 uh, each night, except Sunday night. And, of course, Wednesday night we'll be here at church, and everybody uh, can come for prayer then. But Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, those are five options. And what I'd like for you to do, if you have transportation, you're able to come to the church, I want you to sign this commitment that you're going to do your very level best uh, to be here, whether it's Monday night, every Monday night for the next four weeks, or Tuesday night for the next four weeks. Choose one night, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, and I'm challenging you, I'm provoking you (laughs) as members of this congregation or visitors, if you want to jump in and get involved and get spiritually tuned up, pick a day. And when you come here to the church, uh, there'll be others here, may not be as many, obviously, as we have here today, maybe just two or three or five or six that are here. But I want you to come in here and I want you to warm it up. I want you to warm it up with your prayer and cry out to God because we've got to have revival in life church. And so he's going to pass it around. He has an opportunity to sign a name either for uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. That's just going to be going around while I speak here, but just pay attention to what I have to say. Amen. Some of you say, well, I'm too busy to pray. The reality is you're too busy not to pray. Prayer is an unnatural activity. The flesh fights against it. Human nature fights against it because we are self-reliant and self-sufficient. That's what human nature tries to be. But in reality, when we pray, we're indicating, I need you, Jesus. I need you, God. What does human nature says? I don't need anything. I can take care of myself. I'm a strong, independent woman or man. The reality is when you pray, you are saying, you know what? I need you, Jesus. And it goes against human nature. But at the same time, human beings are drawn to prayer. It's a paradox that at the same time, it's unnatural, but we tend to be drawn to prayer. Why are we drawn to prayer? Because of the sweetness of God's presence. How awesome was it today when we felt the presence of the Lord, amen, in this place? Hallelujah. Last Sunday I went to a church to observe how they did things. It was a, a quickly growing church and it had a lot of neat things that I, that I uh, observed. But you know what? The presence of God was not in that house. It was dead and dry and traditional and routine. And I was like, get me back to life church right now where I can feel the presence of God. There's something about God's presence that's so sweet, and you can get there through prayer. And when you push through the flesh and you get to that place in prayer, how wonderful it is. And people long for an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ so that we can be sensitive to Him and that we can become more like Him. And not only that, but when we pray, we become a channel for God's power. And somehow we begin to understand that we can have God's power in our life through prayer. If we are not praying, we have no power in our life doesn't matter how smooth we can speak or how many gifts and talents and abilities that we have god's power flows primarily to people who pray we'll say it again god's power flows primarily to people who pray god is willing and ready to answer prayer and when we work we work but when we pray god works When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And I know a God who can do more in five minutes than you can do in five years. So I'm challenging some of you to get off the plow for a minute. Get off the tractor for a minute. Get out of the workroom for a minute. Bow your knees and pray and say, God, I need your help in my finances. I need your help in my situation. I need your help in my ministry, in my work in the kingdom of God. When we pray, God works. Corporate prayer is powerful. When two or three are gathered together, He's right there in the midst. 
And so we're calling the church to prayer. Calling the church to prayer. And finally, fasting. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to start the new year with a time of fasting. And everybody's like, oh, pastor. Fasting. I'll fast and I'll do it real fast. There's different lengths of fast. One day, three days, seven days, 21 days, 40 days. What fasting is, fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Now I want to encourage you, if you've never fasted before, don't try to go on a seven-day or a 21-day fast. If you've never fasted before, go on a couple days. Or one day at first. Or three days. If you've only fasted one day, go on a three-day fast. Because uh, when you begin to fast, a lot of times I've, I've experienced this when I've fasted, and I'm trying to fast and pray, and I can't pray because I have such a terrible headache from fasting and on the first day. And I feel like, wow, this has really helped me a lot. I'm mad at God here. And I'm supposed to be getting closer to him, and I'm just mad at everybody. I'm mad at my wife. I'm mad at my car. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But what happens is your body's releasing toxins. It's, it's really a healthy thing that's happening when you go through that period of having a headache. But then after you push through that, and, and uh, here's something I encourage you, is don't cheat on your fast and have, I'm going to have a piece of candy here. I'm going to have a little bit of this. Because what it does is it keeps that process to where you don't actually hit the sweet spot in your fasting. You never get there. Your stomach juices are still flowing. But if you push through, now the first day is tough, second day, part of the day is tough, but then you hit that sweet spot in your fasting where your spirit becomes uncluttered by the things of this world. And you become amazingly sensitive to the things of God when you push through. And I, I believe that our church, if you will follow me as your pastor over the next couple of weeks, and let's take a time of prayer and fasting over the next 30 days, then I believe this is something we can point back to as a church as this year unfolds. And we can say, look what God did. Look how God's answered our prayers. And see, it's not like we're just going to pray for a few days and then quit, but we're going to make this a habit in our church. And I'm going to be preaching about it and teaching it during the month of January and practicing it more than ever in my own life. Moses fasted for 40 days. Joshua in the Bible fasted for 12 hours. Paul fasted for 14 days. Jesus for 40 days. There's three types of fast. Once you listen closely. Because here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to challenge anybody that wants you to go on this particular fast with me. 21 days. Not a 21 days of a total fast. It's going to be seven days of a normal fast. And then after that going into 14 days of what many people call a Daniel fast. A Daniel fast. That's what I felt the Lord has directed me to do. And if there's anybody else that wants to join with me, I challenge you. If you don't want to go 21 days and, and you feel like, I'm not going 21 days, forget this, I'm out of here. Fast some. Fast three days. Maybe three days the first week and three days the last week. But let's make this a concerted effort, a first fruits fast, if you would, at the beginning of the year to take some time and focus on the Lord. Now, here's the three types of fast. Number one is a total fast. Let me just warn you about a total fast. Don't do a total fast for more than a day. It's not healthy. Total fast is where you completely shut your mouth and eat no food and drink no water. 
it's not healthy to go beyond the day. A normal fast is what I'm going to be doing for seven days. This is no food and you drink water. And then during a normal fast, you may, toward the fifth or sixth day, drink a little, just like a half glass of juice or a little bit of clear broth to help you have a little bit of strength. Uh, but this is a normal fast. And then there is a, 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 the a, a third type of fast. I can't remember the word for it right now. It is partial, partial, partial fast, which uh, Daniel's fast, if you want to know what that is, in uh, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 11 through 14, it tells about, remember, remember the story of the Hebrew boys that said, uh, we're not going to eat the king's meat and be defiled with it. Just give us herbs and water. Herbs and water, which is basically vegetables or fruit and water. This is a Daniel's fast where you eat fruit and water, fruit and vegetables and water, and uh, uh, no meats and no pleasant breads and things like that. And so I encourage you. Uh, I'm not going to have you sign anything, but I'm encouraging and calling the church to a time of fasting and prayer over the next 30 days, all right? I'm not telling anybody they have to fast for 30 days. I'm encouraging you during these 30 days, let's take a time of focused prayer and consecration because this is an important year for Life Church. 2008 is a critical year, a year of transition and growth and expansion of influence. And I want to see some people step up to the plate, begin to grow spiritually this year. And this is how we're going to start it out in accordance with many churches throughout the nation that are focusing in a time of prayer and fasting. Amen. Also, while you're fasting, make it mean something to you. In other words, combine it with prayer and the Word. Don't just fast. Because if you fast but don't pray or read the Bible during the fast, it's just like going on a diet. It doesn't help you spiritually. But during your time of fast, when you would normally be eating during the day, get the Bible out. Find a place to pray and let God begin to work in your life. How many feel like God's speaking to us today? Hallelujah. Praise God. Because the discipline of fasting releases the anointing and the blessing, and the favor of God in the lives of Christians. The discipline of fasting. So let's get back on course. Amen. Why don't we stand together right now? Praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, I hunger for that place. Jesus, take me to that place where I'm close to you, Lord God where I can hear your voice, where I know your power is there for me and available. Jesus, hunger and I long for that place. Your faith has a destiny. Of course, it's going to take you to heaven ultimately. But in the meantime, there are areas of ministry, areas of involvement, influence, where you will minister to other people. That God has planned on your journey of faith. On your journey that God has put you on. Some of us perhaps have drifted off course a little bit. Being busy. Distracted. No, we haven't denied our faith in Jesus. And no, we haven't become a rank sinner. Walked away from God. But while we sit here today and look the part. And have all the characteristics of being an in-tune believer, we have, in fact, drifted off course. I'm telling you, it happens to young people. It happens to married couples. It happens to senior citizens. It happens to pastors and Sunday school teachers. It's drifting off course. 
And the Word of God comes and wakes us up. Wakes us up. Says, wake up, Rich. Wake up. Look at where you are. Look at where I want you to be. Look at where I intend for you to be. Wake up. It's time to get back on course. To get back on track. To head in the direction that God wants us to go. There's a story they made a song from. I like it. It's about an officer named Peter O'Hanlon. He was in London and patrolling on night duty. Actually, it was not in London, but in northern England some years ago. While he was out patrolling the streets in the night, he heard a quivering sob behind him. And he turned around in the direction of the cry. And he saw in the shadows a little boy sitting on a doorstep with tears rolling down his cheeks. As the police officer came over to the little boy, the boy responded and said, Sir, I'm lost. Take me home. I'm lost. Can you take me home? No doubt he had wandered off, got distracted, disconnected from family. He was lost. Policeman wanted to help the boy, so he began to name the various streets. Do you know where Rottingham Street is? What about Elm Street? Do you know where this street is? And the little boy continued to shake his head no. Then he repeated the names of some of the shops and the hotels in the area. You know of this shop? Do you know of this hotel? But all of them brought the same negative response from the boy. The police officer stood back and said, I've got to help this boy. And he thought for a minute. The little boy was crying and pleading, please, mister, take me home. Take me home. Having repeated all the street names and well-known businesses he could remember to the little boy, the officer, Officer O'Hanlon, remembered that in the center of the city was a well-known church building with a huge white cross towering high above the surrounding landscape. This gave him an idea when he remembered this, so he took the boy and pointed off in the distance there several streets over to the cross that was above all the other buildings. said, do you live anywhere near that? Immediately the the boy's face brightened, and he said, yes. Uh, Officer, if you can take me to that cross... I can find my way home from there. If you get me to the cross, I can find my way home from there. As Christian believers, there is a rallying point, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the place of Jesus' suffering. That when our mind goes back, to that time when Jesus saved us. The message that moved us of a man that loved you so much that he would be willing to die on the cross for your sins. And when I get off chart, when I get off course, there's one thing that brings me back to the place where I can find my bearings. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. The message of the suffering Savior. This message that saved me one day 
the message of the blood of Jesus. In fact, Hebrews 9.14, I saw this today, shocked me. It said, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God? <laughs> Alas, and did my Savior die? And did my sovereign bleed? Hallelujah. Would he devote that sacred life for somebody like me? Jesus paid it all. He died on a cross and he shed his life's blood. And the blood that Jesus shed on the cross is the same thing that will purge and cleanse your conscience. Say, preacher, I want to serve God, but I'm doing this and I don't feel bad about it anymore. Let the blood of Jesus bring life back to your conscience. Let the blood of Jesus purge your conscience from dead works. Let the message of the old rugged cross and the thought of a bleeding Savior bring back a desire to please and to serve God. I promise you, if you hear a good message about Calvary, I promise you, if you sit down and watch Mel Gibson's rendering of the passion of Jesus Christ, it's not very long until you're like, God, i got sin in my life, and Jesus, I want to please you. And Lord, I'm tired of breaking your law, and I'm tired of doing my own thing. Bring me back to the foot of the cross, and if I get back there, I can get back on my feet. I can get back in the ship. I can get back on my journey toward the destiny that God has called for me in my life. Lift up your hands right now. Lift up your hands to the Lord Jesus, because the Lord is calling us back to the cross back to the cross for this beginning of a time of consecration for this beginning of a time of consecration before the Lord hallelujah I'd like for our ushers to begin to pass out at the Lord's Supper that we're going to partake of here the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 that when we eat of this bread and drink of this cup we show the Lord's death until He comes. And if I could get an usher or someone to bring those from the nursery, they wanted to come up and uh, be involved in. Oh, they're, they're getting them already in the Lord's Supper. Uh, what we're going to do in just a moment is we're going to pray over the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to pass it out. And I encourage you just to hold on to it for a moment. And we're going to partake of this together. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, this special occasion today, Lord God, where we honor your death, your suffering, the body that you gave, Lord, and the blood that was shed to purge us and to give us a fresh start, to give us an opportunity to live for you. I thank you for the blood that you shed. I thank you for the life that you gave, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for this plan from the foundation of the world. I pray, Lord Jesus, for this representative of your blood, this juice, this fruit of the vine that we will partake of. This unleavened bread represents the body of Christ. And I pray for every member of this congregation, every person in Life Church today, that as we 
commemorate your death, your gift, the thing that binds us together and keeps us held together, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would do it worthily. We would do it in an honorable fashion. And we would do it in a way that brings us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. says in, in 1 Corinthians, and I know that they're continuing to serve, but I want to say this word right now, that if a person would eat and drink 